Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and today we are going to be talking about the Beastie Boys on a very special episode of the show. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that the holidays are fast approaching, and if you want to help out... Needless Things and the Needless Things podcast, one of the very best things that you can do is go to needlessthingssite.com, click on that big old Amazon block in the top right corner, and do all of your shopping through there. You don't have to buy the images in that window, although it's probably going to be stuff geared towards you because Google Analytics or whatever it is uh, that places that stuff are, are pretty darn sharp. But I will say we, we haven't reached the evil threshold of data mining yet because I'm still getting emails recommending uh, NASCAR services and promising uh, benefits to golf memberships and things like that. So they haven't totally invaded our lives to an unacceptable extent yet as long as i keep getting those kinds of emails uh about baseball and stuff then i'll know that we're we we have some degree of privacy in our lives but anyway go to needlessthingssite.com click on the amazon box and do your shopping from there and needless things will get a little bit of a kickback from every purchase you make and uh, also once you're in there Go to smile.amazon.com and you can pick out a charity and uh, that charity will also benefit from your purchases. And, and none of this costs you anything extra and it helps us out a whole bunch. So go to Needless Things and uh, shop through our Amazon link. All right, so I wanted to do a Beastie Boys episode and I, I wasn't quite sure what to do because I didn't want to do a roundtable type thing. Uh, I, I wanted to do something where people could share more personal memories. And I also wanted to get kind of personal with my own life because the Beastie Boys have been such a huge part of the last 30 years of my life. Licensed Ill came out in November of 1986. And I, I probably wasn't aware of them until 1987 because that's when the video for Fight for Your Right to Party came out, I think early in the year. And that was the first I saw of the Beastie Boys uh, and immediately was in love, by the way. Uh, they were the coolest people on the planet. MCA in particular, uh, as I've mentioned many times on this show and other shows, was the ultimate icon of cool to me. I, I wanted to have that stubbly beard very, very badly. But uh, there's no cooler band no more talented band or group, whatever. I love them. I love them. They are one of my favorites. They have been with me the whole time. I never went through a phase where I didn't like them. I never sold off their stuff. Uh, they have always been with me, and they're one of the few bands that have. Uh, so I, I wanted to do something special for a show about them. Uh, just to, to commemorate the idea of the Beastie Boys. 
and after listening to a show that Mark Marin did, which many of you know or have figured out that Mark Marin is a huge influence on me and that his podcast is a big reason why I do a podcast. But uh and and maybe uh someday over on supportphantom.com I'll read out the letter that I I sent to Marin or I gave Marin in person. Uh but anyway, Marin did an episode about Lorne Michaels where he replayed people's recollections of Lorne Michaels. And I thought, you know what? I think that would be a great thing to do because people almost certainly have recollections about the Beastie Boys, about their fandom. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know what kind of stories I would get or what kind of recollections I would get. I just wanted to talk to people about the Beastie Boys. And I did. And, and I managed to get a couple of uh, old pals on here. And I managed to get a couple of very special interviews on here that are each significant in their own way. And I'm also going to read some stuff, uh, some comments from Facebook from you guys. Because I, I posted a lot of requests for people to share their stories on this show. And due to the nature of Facebook, I, I think probably a lot of people didn't see those requests uh, it's just how it is. Facebook, I, I feel like, and, and I don't want to get too deep into my own personal stuff here because this is all about the Beastie Boys, but I do feel that Facebook uh, kind of buries my stuff somehow. It's really weird. I, I don't know how it works. I'm sure Rad Ranger could explain it to me, but I'm too impatient to listen. So anyway, uh, I've got some really good stuff for you guys. I'm going to read some. We're going to go to... Uh, four in individual segments but before we get to that i'm going to kind of run down my beastie boys history a little bit uh like i said in 1986 the album came out and uh licensed ill was one of those things that became a soundtrack of my life it instantly went into rotation alongside weird al and anthrax and actually, you know what? At the time, I hadn't even discovered Anthrax yet, so that's not true. They just feel like they've been around that long. Uh, so Weird Al and Run DMC's Raising Hell were were it alongside Licensed Ill. And one of my earliest, strongest memories is from July 25th, 1987 at the Houston Astrodome of seeing... Run DMC and the Beastie Boys on the Together Forever tour. And because of that, I wanted to bring the guy that took me to that show on the podcast. So for the first time ever, you are going to hear my dad, Pappy Troublemaker, on the Needless Things podcast right after this. Man, we already watched that dog already. You don't have to get mad at me. We watched Yo, it. what's up, man? Y'all can't watch dogs for the rest of your life, man. Let's go on tour, man. Let's, you know, let's go do some shows. <laughs> oh, baby. You got do rock. Let's go, man. Yo, man. Yo, come on, bro. Charlie! Come on, hey, play Charlie. We got a gig. Let's go. Yo, Mike. Let's go, man. Come on, man. We got work to do. Word, man. It's time to get ill, man. Run DMC and the Beastie Boys together forever. Here we go. It's to fight for your right. No sleep. I'm the king of rock. The hit the higher. Suck it in C's. You call me Sire. Kick it. 
Run DMC and the Beastie Boys on the way your time right now. But we're gonna be cold king alive. Ain't that right, fellas? All right, what I wanted to ask you about, do you remember when we were living in Houston in 1987 mm-hmm. and you took me to see the Beastie Boys? Yes. Okay, so it was the Beastie Boys and Run DMC at the Houston Astrodome. Right. And as as I've told the story many times over the years, uh, you know, you, you and mom kind of knew, you know, up, uprooting us to Houston for three months. Well, well, you did everything you could to make it pleasant for us. We had the season passes to Astro World and to Water World. And you guys like really went out of your way to take care of us even more so than usual. And yes, uh, your mom took you on activities during the week and then on the weekends we usually went somewhere. You remember we went to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico? Yes, yes, I do. And I remember caverns another weekend that your mom got kind of claustrophobic in the caverns. I I remember that. I remember uh, Papa getting up and telling us he went, he walked back across the border to the Cadillac Bar and Grill to get the t shirt, and he'd actually gotten it from the gift shop. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask you about that BC Boys and Run DMC show and what your recollection of it was, because my recollection, it, you know, I was 11 years old at the time and was just starting to get into music on my own. I think up to that point, it had been, you know, just the stuff that you played in the car, but I had gotten into the BC Boys and Run DMC and wanted to go to that show something terrible and I remember me and mom going to buy the tickets and in the lead up to the show there was a newspaper article about what what is now a very famous incident where a riot started at one of the Beastie Boys shows in another city and I can't remember what city it was right now but it was in the newspaper and I remember you showing me this and saying, are you sure you want to go to this? And of course I did because I was 11 and I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about, you know, anything. And, and, uh, you to your credit, and I have always given you much credit for this because now that I'm older, I understand, uh, you took me down there and we stood in line and as as I have often said, we were probably we were two of the probably twenty white people that were at the show, and we went in, sat down, got in our seats, and I had no idea, you know, the album at the time the albums were relatively clean, and what was on them that was dirty, I didn't understand because I was eleven. So I was just expecting these guys to come out and do their thing. And instead, uh, I remember every 30 seconds, King Ad Rock, who was one of the Beastie Boys, running up to the monitor and flipping it off, giving it the middle finger. Uh, I remember just nonstop profanity. And just madness. I think they had a cage on either side of the stage, and they had girls dancing in the cages. 
Right. And it was, for me, sitting there with you, one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life. But I wanted to see the Beastie Boys, and I knew we'd spent all this money and gone out of our way to go to this show. So I sat there and just endured it. And uh, just was mortified. And you were you were so good because I remember even at one point you, you leaned over to me and said, "Oh, that's interesting. Do you see what they're doing with that record player up there? Because their DJ uh, DJ Hurricane had the two turntables set up and was scratching on the turntables. I mean, you, I I still am amazed at how well you took all this." What what is your memory of this event? Well, my memory was uh, you wanted to go badly, so I was going to take you, and there was no warning about age appropriate. And when they got me going, I thought it was very inappropriate, period, but specifically for your age. And if you recall, I left it up to you to decide whether you wanted to stay or not. Yes. And and you eventually said, I don't want to stay. I'm ready to go. And we left. I don't know how long we were there before we left, but we left well before the show ended. Well, we, uh, well, do you remember, do you remember as clearly as I do the stuff that was going on? Like, because at the time, I may not have even picked up on some things because again, 11, not ready for this kind of stuff at all. Uh, well, probably, uh, you know, I don't remember many details of what was going on. I just remember that it was pretty repulsive to me. Mm -hmm. And I was mostly looking to you to just see your reactions. Do you, do you remember, like, did I look visibly stunned or horrified? Yeah, well, yeah, you, you looked like you weren't enjoying it and you were surprised at what it was. And I, I remember we were sitting next to a mom and her son, and I think they were in kind of the same boat that we were in. I seem to remember, like, sort of commiserating. But uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, we got through, because I think the Beastie Boys only played for maybe half an hour or so because they were opening. And I remember thinking, well, Run DMC won't act like this. They're they're more mature. They're different. Their music is different, and I, I I really feel like we made it all the way through the Beastie Boys, and then Run DMC came out and immediately started with "What's up, MF in Houston? We're Run MF and DMC MF." And I think at that point is when I said, "Okay, okay, Dad, I think." Let's. I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that now that you bring that up. Like I say, I thought it was very inappropriate. Period. But most inappropriate for an 11 year old. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, but and, and they had had no warning at all about it. You know, there wasn't any kind of a uh, like with movies. You know, of course I was your parent now with you. I guess that's what. You know, they go by. But you would never have imagined, you know, no, coming. No, I wouldn't have. That was a 
first and last for me. Right, right. And that's, uh, I just, like I said, I give you all the credit in the world for sticking it out and, and for, like you said, leaving it up to me for, for doing that. And I, I appreciate that. To this day, it was a, it was quite a learning experience. In the intervening years, uh, both bands calmed down a good bit and changed the content and changed their message, uh, and, and certainly became less raw than they were in 1987. And it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, as we all get older, I think we all kind of mellow out a little bit. But I, yeah, I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking to you about, about your memories of, of that day in the summertime. Of 1987, almost 30 years ago. Can you believe it? Yeah. That's right. Hi. Now, we haven't got much time around here. I know it's a brilliant view, and I know the paparazzi are downstairs. Yeah, we're trying yeah? to get a good shot. I was throwing nails at them. Yeah, do you think you've answered your press critics? Uh, what do you mean? All the, all the press you've had since you've been here, and before. We're trying to straighten it out. You know, I think it's pretty clear what these, what the papers are all about. You know, we're just doing our best to, you know, it's just everything that those, everything that the tabloids print isn't true. Have you got anything to say to that? Well, you know, it's just rough. Like I saw some of the things about the concert in today's paper, and they were talking about, oh, well, it wasn't that out. You know, some papers would say, oh, they they barraged the audience with four-letter words, and others said it was disappointing because it wasn't as outrageous as they wanted. So it's kind of like I just wish they just, you know, you write know, about stupid people say whatever they want. I mean, it's like they want to sell their papers, man. What, what do your parents say about all this? Do they know? Have they seen the headlines? They've seen it. They know what's true and what's not true. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like these damn, you know, papers just print over there, want to print to sell, you know, sell the papers, you know, two weeks from now they say the same thing about, you know, whoever, you know what I mean? It's just like, those people should be stopped, man, and it be sick to my stomach. One more quick note about that era before we move on. Uh, I was in middle school, and each year of middle school, we had this school-wide lip-sync competition decades before it was a hit television show with celebrities doing it and i think it was the first year i wanted to do paul revere because paul revere was the fucking song like once you have been listening to licensed ill for long enough and you've gotten past fight for your right and brass monkey i think everybody settles in on paul revere as like this it's not an anthem but it's like the story of the beastie boys it's this origin story now granted it's a made-up origin story but an origin story nonetheless but i'm you know 12 years old or or whatever and we have to obviously submit the songs that we want to perform or fake perform to the committee that's running the show and i submit paul revere and I think we had to print out all the lyrics, well, not print out at the time, we had to write out all the lyrics. Not that there weren't typewriters or whatever, but, you know, back then you, you wrote things out. So I wrote out the lyrics, submitted them, and they rejected it because there were things in there that I didn't understand but that were totally inappropriate to be performed in front of a school full of basically children, middle school or not. So we ended up doing uh, Like a Surgeon by Weird Al, which 
was a lot of fun. But I'm guessing the committee or whatever didn't get past, I did it like this, I did it like that, I did it with a wiffle ball bat before uh, stopping and putting a big, big red X on uh, my submission. All right, now we're going to talk to our pal Red Ranger about uh, the earlier days of the Beasties and their influence on culture in general. I can't remember a time uh, when the Beastie Boys haven't been, like, a major part of the soundtrack of my life, weirdly. Like, when License to Ill came out, that album was so popular, I went to a Catholic school, and somehow it was playing in P.E. I thought you were saying it was so popular you went to a Catholic school. Like, that was the cause. No, 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 no. Not not related. Uh, Just that, like, the last place you would expect to hear that right right uh, or any real popular music was going to be at inner city catholic school in pittsburgh sure but it was popular enough that the pe teacher was like yeah that's fine so we're like running laps in the gymnasium with brass monkey playing in the background and so i'm inappropriate totally inappropriate <laughs> and i had no idea what the hell brass monkey was but i love the song yeah. and so we're all singing it we're like this is great blah, 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 blah. um and then it became a regular thing about the same time we moved and I got into uh, BMX Freestyle, that's where the whole rad thing started, um, and it was just a regular thing. Like, you would just put BC Boys on a boombox, and you'd go ride half pipes, or you'd go do dirt jumps, and it just became like, like, they came out, I don't even remember which album was they came out, but they sort of defined skater culture for a while, or how it looked, like the skater fashion. Probably check your head. Probably. Um, like the baggy clothes and all of that. Because Check Your Head was 92. Yeah, that makes sense. Paul's Boutique was 89. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, somehow along the way, like, it made perfect sense for them to influence skater and what is now known as X Games type sports, like, influence that fashion because Mm -hmm. we were always listening to that music. Like, it was this weird mix of, like, Anthrax, Megadeth, and then the Beastie Boys. And somehow in our head it all just fit together in spite of the fact that that music really couldn't be any more different. Well, Beastie Boys brought all the genres together, though. They did. They did. Well, they were like this weird glue that made it, like... And it opened up the door for me pursuing a lot of really early rap, you know, beyond just whatever was getting other radio airplay, like MC Hammer and LL Cool J, but you would go a little bit deeper, and you learned about bands like Gangstar and Guru and EPMD, and you're like, oh, this is really cool. And it that was because Beastie Boys just blew that door wide open. And rap became a thing that you could listen to. And particularly if you were like me and you wanted to be into music that not everybody was into. So you, you were into the deeper cuts. And, you know, uh, Fight for Your Right was your least favorite song because it's the one that everybody knew. Um, and I was one of those little pretentious fucks that was like, Paul's Boutique is a way better album. I didn't realize it and why it was a better album. I was just walking around saying that because I knew everybody in school was like... Had saddlebags. Had saddlebags. <laughs> uh, Very important. Um, I, I, there were songs on it that blew my mind that I thought were fucking amazing, that I would just go back to the same ones all the time. I listened to B-Boy Booyah Bass over and over and over because of all the different songs that mixed in, all the samples. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until well into college that I went back and listened to it and I went, Jesus Christ, this is so groundbreaking. Like, this broke all of the rules for all of the genres all over the place. But because everybody liked License to Ill, I was the the little hipster fuck that was like, well, I really like Paul's Boutique. That's my favorite album. Um, I can't imagine me being a little hipster, at all. pretentious <laughs> prick. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's totally too hard to think about. Um, 
I'm using tangentially related Beastie Boy story uh, that happened with uh, some friends of mine in college that you actually would have known when they were in high school. Um, we would just get bored and try to go and get in the trouble. And so one night, myself, uh, a guy named Vonley, a guy named Wayne, decided <laughs> to dress ridiculously. Vonley and I decided that we were going to dress like the Beastie Boys, or our closest approximation of the Beastie Boys. Which sure. We got like all kinds of check-your-head-ish gear. So super baggy jeans and baggy T-shirts and stocking caps. And Wayne, for some reason, was in uh, a tight uh, Dr. Feelgood tour T-shirt and a bandana. And so he stood out as the hair metal guy. Um, and we went, and we like this was all on purpose. Like, hey, let's dress silly, and then we're going to go to this grocery store, and we're going to take pictures of ourselves in the grocery store. Not go grocery shopping. Just take pictures. You of were you were predating the internet, right? Yeah, yeah. We were just, we were just being idiots, and I don't even remember. I think it, I think the whole thing was is that one of them like somebody had a camera and like what are we gonna do with the camera? And, right, right. And we're like, well, let's go dress like idiots. Yeah. So we did, uh, and we went to a Harris Teeter in Athens, Georgia, and just walked up and down the aisle and picked things to pose with. Like we took pictures with dillweed because dillweed sure. is funny and. Beavis and Butthead were a thing. Um, and uh, pool noodles and, and beach balls held up like phallic symbols because we thought that's what the Beastie Boys would do. And so we were literally just being idiotic college kids, doing our best impersonation of what we thought the Beastie Boys would do. Um, the thing culminated in we actually did buy groceries, and we walked out with the shopping cart and just put the entire shopping cart in the back of Von Lee's truck and drove home. That's and, oh, everybody a beer, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So that culminated in, and I don't know where any of that idea came from, but mostly just being dumb college kids. I, it, Wayne and Vonley were almost certainly high. Uh, I I not, can't imagine that. <laughs> I did not partake, so I can't even blame it on being high. Um, but yeah, there was just this thing, and it was one of those weird things. Like I said, the Beastie Boys were this constant soundtrack. In my life, every it seemed like every couple of years there was a new album to listen to, and there were new songs that would get played that would just randomly be that in is, the background. That is how music works. What? Listeners can't see me clicking you off right now. What? How, no, like, but no. What but, about but the, the what about the later stuff though? Like post, uh, check your head, going into uh, ill communication and oh, ill communication, nasty um, and. Ill communication was great. That one I think did not get as much um, airplay for me personally. I think it was just a, a weird time. That was maybe those weird lulls. Um, trying to think of like I think what it is is that in high points in my life there's a there is a Beastie Boy song that's somewhere in the background that I can point to. Um, and when Hello Nasty came out um, and Intergalactic, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. That a band that has been around this long can put out a song this good and just kind of jump. They had a way of sort of flying under the radar and then jumping right to the top. Yeah. You know, they would sort of drop off, do a thing. You wouldn't hear from them for a little while. Then they would release an album and it would it would be the most amazing fucking thing you've ever heard. And you'd be like, what? How did this even happen? Um, and yeah, they always team. came back very strong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I remember Intergalactic Planetary. I think I I learned all the words to that in the first two or three days that I heard it. Because I just found it online and just looped it over and over and over. And I was like, this is so fucking amazing. And then my younger brother had his Beastie Boys moment where he went out for Halloween dressed like 
him and his college roommates all dressed like Beastie Boys from that video. Nice. And got high as kites, probably, and then just ran around acting the video out uh, <laughs> in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, because why not? Um, and it was interesting to watch them progress. Their music matured as they matured, yet it still always kind of had that we're not like you edge. You know, like they were like there was it was always super super unique. So even when they got past the point of you know, License Dale had girls, and that's a very mature and immature and silly song. And then they get later in life, and they're um, all these political causes, and they're supporting all of these things, and they're obviously not going to sing girls with the same sort of like, hey, yeah, we want girls to do the dishes, and well, they got do the laundry, they got uh, more mature, but I don't know that they ever got more serious, at least not in their music. Right, they always were having fun, even when they were conveying a message. Exactly, and their music was always massively, massively unique. It was like nothing else out there. Yeah. It wasn't ever; they were never. Like every other punk band, they were never like every other rap band. They right. were they were always blurring the lines, and the fact that they managed to do that at every stage of their career, I can't think of very many bands that have managed to do that. Like a lot of bands have hit on a formula, they stay with that formula. I love Slayer, but Slayer like <laughs> Slayer has an album format that they follow. Right, every Slayer album follows that. Megadeth, same thing. The only other band I can think of that possibly comes close to constantly reinventing themselves with every new release is Faith No More. And they took a massive 20-year break from even being a band. you know. But the Beasties stayed together the entire time and have always been on the cutting edge, hard to define, hard to pin down. Um, and, you know, for uh, somebody like myself who, and I'm sure much like you, that was kind of on the fringes of regular culture, <laughs> having a band like the Beastie Boys always there was uh, was it was just kind of a good sort of um, fun part of the soundtrack and a creative fuel. You know, I could sit down and have like a really shitty day, and I could put on any Beasties album from any era and put it on and be like, I feel a little bit better about today. Or if I'm in a creative rut or anything like that, you could put on any one of those albums and be like, I'm just gonna put on my pajamas and put this on. I'm gonna bounce around the house for about 20 minutes. And then I'll be refueled. Um, and it was, I, I, there aren't any other bands that really do that for me personally. How did you come up with the idea of doing a medley on the It's like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Like, who thought of that, you know? It's like, who he thought of it, too. He thought of it and he did it. You know, a then, lot of people. You know, they might think that due to the fact that, you know, he's hard of hearing or whatever, that he would never be able to compose something and like he that. And he, he could just skip right to the tenth and not even do the ninth. Well, but he did the ninth, you know, and the thing is, it's like a lot of people might think, that, well, we're so stupid, how could we come up with the medley, you know, it's such a big handicap, but we did. And know? just imagine if my man Beethoven had a fucking sampler. Exactly. If he had a DJ... Yo. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You all heard that record a few years back, Fifth of Beethoven. That was no joke. All right, now it's time for the first uh, response I got from the Needless Things podcast Facebook group, which if you're not a member, go there and become one, and you can take part in things like this. Uh, this is from our buddy Jason Wilson. When I was in junior high and we would play ping pong all night in my friend's garage, if I was losing, my buddy would play Paul's Revere. He was convinced this would inspire me to win. 
Aside from getting them to play Brass Monkey at my 7th grade dance, that's as much as I have to offer about the Beastie Boys. I do have to say, it is amazing what they became after Licensed Ill. Don't get me wrong, I still love that first album. It's just crazy that they seem to grow into this cultural phenomenon. In 1987, I never would have guessed that would happen. And uh, we've got another one here from Michael Gordon. I saw them on a Licensed Ill tour with Public Enemy in 1987. I wish I could say it was an amazing musical performance, but all I really remember is the women dancing in cages and the ginormous inflatable penis at the end of the show. It wasn't until later that they impressed me with their music. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, finally, we've got Jeffrey Francis. I only have one Beastie Boys memory, which was when they first came out. MTV had just started doing their spring break coverage, and so they decided to have a spring break contest featuring the Beastie Boys. The gist of the contest was that the winner would be literally kidnapped by the group and brought to the spring break location to party with the boys. Apparently, they really snatched the winner, and I still remember them bringing a big box onto the set and tipping it over, and this dorky-looking guy came tumbling out. It still cracks me up thinking about it all these years later. Then it couldn't happen in America, 1987, your bedroom. They were wrong. MTV knows where you live, and we're telling the Beastie Boys. Meet the Spring Break Body Snatchers from Daytona. Sometime when you least expect it, those bad boys will invade your privacy, grab your body, force you to board the Beastie Boy party jet, and fly to Florida. You won't have time to pack, so MTV will give you 5000 bucks for a new toothbrush. Sweet for you, Then it's off to Daytona Beach for oh, the of MTV's live spring break broadcast and possibly the police department's daily lineup. Plus, you will get a part in 20th Century Fox's new movie, Revenge of the Nerds 2, and movie star gear from Stridex. Send your name, age, address, phone number, and a mugshot to MTV's Body Snatcher Contest. Post Office Box 1211, Radio City Station, New York, New York, 10101. And give us your next of kin's phone number, too. We won't phone you. We won't warn you. You won't even know you won until we show up. You could be on the street. You could be at work. You could be in conference. You could be snatched by MTV. All right, next up, let's talk to my pal, Arian. You know him from the podcast, but I've known him uh, since the turn of the century when we both worked at Warehouse Music. And we, let's see, I guess I've known him through three Beastie Boys albums being released now. Uh, is that right? Uh, but anyway, whatever the case, uh, Arian has interesting observations about how the Beastie Boys evolution and maturation has has kind of matched up with our own Arians in particular. Tell me about the Beastie Boys. So uh friend and I were having a conversation one night long, long time ago. This was in like 2000 or 2001 because it was when I was still lived in Athens. Okay. And even at that point, his thesis was, name a band you've liked longer than the Beastie Boys. Ah, yeah. And that, like, I thought about it for a while and, like, I really couldn't then and I still can't now. And 
another thing that just comes to me when I think of the Beastie Boys is like, like sort of mirrored my progression growing up. And I mean, early, early Beasties I didn't know about when they were a joke art band that recorded a song called Cookie Puss. Dude, none of us knew about that until, well. I, I did before some old bullshit came out. Like, because I had, somehow or other, I got, like, a bootleg CD. I don't think it was a tape, but a bootleg CD of... Cookie Puss. I think just Cookie Puss and, like, a couple of the punk songs. Yeah. And then some old bullshit came out, and I was like, wow, I'm really surprised they actually released this garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, they just didn't give a shit. And, like, that's yeah. what... Like, at that age, like, I was... When License to Ill came out, I was like, shit. Like, it came out in 86. Right? I was so 10. I was like 9-ish. And my friends who were older, like a couple years older than me, were like, hey, listen to this. I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty awesome, obviously. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. But, uh, I mean, their early stuff, they were like, Kind of meatheadish or like had oh, totally. meatheadish personas. Yeah, yeah. But like you know, I was cool with that back then. Like I was basically the same place, you know, meatheadish kid. But like, like they did grow up, and like that's one thing I appreciated was like, you know, like they did things later in life. You know, like they contributed to charities. They were generally good citizens. Like MCA was like specifically said, you know, don't disrespect women and the lyrics of several of their songs. Whereas, you know, in, in your early days, you're just more of a meathead. Yeah. But they, they grew up and I appreciated that and it kind of mirrored my growth as a person too. So I've always felt a kinship with those dudes. Well, what was cool about them growing up is, is unlike a lot of artists, they never... They never came right out and said that their older stuff, like, that it was bad or they hated it. or Like, yeah. they would say, you know, we're not necessarily proud of acting that way, but we did, and it's how it is. Yeah. Whereas, you know, other some other artists will say, no, that stuff's garbage. Yeah. Anybody that likes it is an idiot. And they, because they that's, still, a, that's a dumb thing to say about your fans. Yeah, and they still played, like, some of their older stuff, yeah. like, even under later tours and stuff, like... No Sleep Till Brooklyn always got played. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, they, they would pick the stuff that wasn't, uh, you know, she's crafty or, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do love you, those dudes. Do you, what was your, was there a time, because every album of theirs sort of represents a, an era in and of itself. Yeah, it does. And I, I was thinking of that, like, because... So, uh, Hello Nasty was, like, when I, like, a couple years after I'd moved to Athens, and, like, I'd stopped going to school by that point, or, like, that was the summer, like, after my sophomore year when that came out, I think, and, like, I was working in a music store, but I was also delivering papers late at night, and I would just play the shit out of Hello Nasty all uh. night while I was, I had a tape player back then, still, in my car, uh, and it would flip from one side to the other. But yeah, like, I wore that out. Uh, my freshman or sophomore year of high school was when Check Your Head came out. And I was, uh... <laughs> let, let, let me go ahead and say, uh, 
if you're a fat guy, skate punk is not a good fashion look. <laughs> but I was a fat, I was a fat skate punk. Uh, like I said, not the best fashion look in retrospect. But uh, those were my people back then. And uh, yeah, check your head was in continual play back then. And like going back, like I, I, I wasn't disappointed when uh, Paul's Boutique came out. But like I mean, I was like. 11 or 12 so it's just oh this is okay yeah i didn't i didn't love it because it wasn't uh it, it wasn't licensed to hill yeah it, was it wasn't completely like different boisterous I, like yeah i couldn't get into obnoxious. it at the time yeah but like going look, looking back at it like that's clearly one of the better albums ever made in my opinion for sure and but i didn't appreciate it until after check your head yeah when like, i i, I I appreciate, like, I grew to appreciate it in between Check Your Head and uh, Hello Nasty. Yeah, I'm I'm not one of the people who's going to say, oh, yeah, I heard Paul's Boutique and immediately recognized it for the genius that it was. Because no. guess what? Nobody did because it fucking bombed. Yeah, it did, it did not sell well. Like, I mean, you know, maybe Beck. <laughs> Beck was like, yeah, this is pretty he, dope. He was the one guy. <laughs> uh, but I think the rest of everybody who says that is full of shit. Yeah. So. So looking back at everything that they did, uh, and and everything that, I mean, because not only were they musicians, they were also publishers. Yeah. Uh, they ran a record label, Grand Royal, which brought us stuff like Luscious Jackson. Yeah, I was and, gonna uh, I was gonna make a point that like the first version of the Beastie Boys, when they were a weird art art punk band, had a uh, one of the ladies from Luscious Jackson in it. Kate Schellenbach. Yeah. So. And well, and it was because. Uh, in, in a roundabout way, it was because of her that License to Ill was called License to Ill because uh, the the title that they were leaning towards, and you got to remember, this is 1986. Yeah. Um, the world was different, humor was different, the Beastie Boys were certainly different, but uh, at one point that album was going to be called Don't Be a Faggot. Yeah. And uh, Kate Schellenbach. She's like, hey, guys, maybe not so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we instead we got licensed ill, which, regardless of your personal opinions on anything, is a much better title. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, that's, that's a classic. Like, a lot of their, a lot of their stuff to me is just, like, like genre-defining, like, era-defining stuff. Like... Paul's Boutique, obviously, was, like, so way ahead of its time that, like, no one appreciated it when we when it came out, like we were saying. And yeah. Like, yeah. And Check Your Head was the one that, you know, they had, they they did a lot of instrumental stuff on Paul's Boutique, but Check Your Head was the one... Where they mostly played their own instruments. Really, you had a straight hip-hop song, then you had a punk song, and then you had some kind of weird, jazzy... Yeah. Uh, like, it, it, was, it was really... Nobody else successfully and as skillfully mixed up musical genres in the way that they did. Yeah. Uh, and Hello Nasty was interesting because it was kind of a return to what, like, they still had some of the jazzy instrumentals on it, but yeah. they kind of left the punk behind and... Went back to pure hip-hop yeah, stuff. Yeah. And uh, Ill, Ill Communication was also a great album and had, like, some jazzier stuff on it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, like, in retrospect, like, I love all of their albums, but, like, for whatever reason, like, maybe it's because, 
everybody loves sabotage so much, and it's not that I dislike it, but I just get annoyed when everybody loves something. <laughs> not uh, you. Yeah, no, me, I know. It's hard to believe. But, uh, like, I'm not going to say it's my, like, that'd be saying, like, this is my least favorite chocolate chip cookie. Right. It's a stupid statement, and it means nothing. It's still a chocolate chip cookie. It's still great. Yeah. still always going to love it. But, like, it's the chocolate chip cookie that brings me the least joy. I understand. I understand. <laughs> and that, I've, I've got, uh... To the Five Burrows is that one for me, yeah. which I, I love it. And in retrospect, uh, it actually has some excellent songs on it. It does. Crawl Space is, is actually one of my favorite songs because it's it's so odd and them just kind of having fun, but it's still really good. But, you know, that one came in the wake of uh, 9-11. Yeah. And it had, there was a lot of heaviness to it, which, which now Hot Sauce Committee... Kind of has that as well after yeah. MCA passing, but uh, it, it took me a while to appreciate to the five boroughs as well. Yeah, I can I can see that, like for sure. Well, any last thought thoughts about the BCs? Uh, no, nah, like I still I still can't name a band that I've liked longer than the Beastie Boys. So you know, big ups to MCA up there in Buddhist heaven. <laughs> The Beastie Boys' Adam Yauch gathered them to New York for the second Free Tibet Show, an appeal for worldwide support. Adam is one of the founders of the Malarpa Fund. He's also on the board of directors, so he is pretty integral to everything that we do. I guess the point of the concert is really to, to put forward the Tibet issue and to raise awareness about the Tibet issue. The reason that we've chosen to focus on that issue specifically is because it embodies all these um, uh, principles of nonviolence, and the whole Tibet struggle for freedom is based on nonviolence. Let's not forget that the reason that this concert is going on is to help the people of Tibet get their freedom. I remember at some point I got, because uh, remember, MCA was the height of cool to me. So whatever that guy did, I thought was cool. And when he started the Milarepa Fund and, and started really projecting his messages about Tibet, I got into that. Uh, not, not big time because I've just never been a guy who gets caught up in causes, but I went to the website. I looked at the what you can do section. Uh, it was my first brush with slacktivism, I suppose. And they had a list of companies that you should avoid buying from. And I, I don't remember now what they were. I think Nike was one of them. Uh, but it was anybody that did, uh, had labor in China, that kind of thing. And I somehow or other got like a marketing call. Something just happened to line up where one of these companies contacted me. And I, I pulled up the information from the website and was like reading this customer service representative all this stuff about the, the atrocities that China was committing against Tibet. And uh, so somebody had a shitty day <laughs> that probably didn't deserve it. But I was all fired up, damn it. Uh, but in all seriousness, if you want to know more about Tibet and about 
what has happened there and what MCA, what Adam Yauk was fighting for. You can go to freetibet.org and learn more about the situation and learn how you can help. All right, our last guest on the show is an old friend of mine that I saw a lot of shows with, and I guarantee she'll be back on the podcast at some point for some good reminiscing. Uh, but I've, I've probably saw more shows with this lady than anybody else I know. Uh, and we, we just, we loved going and experiencing things. Uh, and I'm really excited to have Carly on the show. You guys are going to enjoy this. And, uh, this is our closer about going to see the Beastie Boys at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> So I've been sitting here trying to figure out when the heck we oh, when saw was that them. show. And it was, was so cool. It was so necessary. They were so big by then. They kept playing their new stuff, I remember. Well, I mean, like, we don't want to hear the new stuff, which I don't remember what the new stuff was. It was, well, it was earlier than I thought it was because I was thinking it was like 97 or 98. Um, That's what I, I would have guessed that. And I was, was thinking it was at Phillips or the Georgia Dome. It was at the Omni in 95. Yes! Yes! That's awesome. That would be the summer. Yep, that was the summer of Waffle House. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. See, I, I was thinking it was later than that. Um, because you'd think in 95, everybody would have gone with us. Yeah, I think tickets were hard to get. Is that what it was? I think so, because I, and, and it had gone mainstream. Like, we had moved oh, yeah, on. Like, yeah. We they were, were too huge cool. Yeah. yeah, we were like, our group was like way too cool for Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys had molded oh. us into the cool hipster people we were. You're but like, right. we were like, oh, I'm going to Far Side. I'm going to The Roots. Like, I'm going to The Real. Like, well, the roots, the open, real... the roots open for them. Oh, right. That so, was yeah. the first so time we... I had God, seen I The Roots. I didn't even uh... know who they were because I remember, um, we and, and gosh, I, I you know, I'm sitting here. I don't remember the building. I don't remember walking into the Omni. Uh, but I do remember walking around and I do remember seeing like the gigantic t-shirt display, which I think at the time was the biggest one I had seen. Uh, and I bought a dumb t-shirt because at the time I had, (laughs) I, uh, so stupid. I, at the time I didn't want concert shirts that had dates on the back. Oh, which is the opposite now. Yeah. Yeah. You totally, you missed the prediction on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. So I buy this shirt. It's a white shirt. It's got the ringer on the collar and the sleeves. And it's got a van that says Aloha, Mr. Hand. And it says Beastie Boys, like really tiny somewhere. It's the worst fucking shirt ever. And But it's it's like the only one that fit my weird criteria of concert shirts oh man i just remember we went and um and i think you and i were a little harder core concert goers like i have a lot of memories of they might be giants and going to the outsource god the masquerade's gone now but going to see far side and we were just like on it you know yeah 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 that was crazy that show was amazing though but but yeah the roots um because that show was after this show and the roots opened for the beastie boys at this show because i remember walking in and at the time, seeing a hip-hop act that was a bunch of black guys with instruments, like a full band, was yeah. really weird. Yeah. 
and we walk in and they were amazing. Uh, yeah, but, I was like, we were hooked at that point. I was like, they're awesome. But I think you're totally right about everybody else being too cool for the Beastie Boys because now that I'm thinking about it, that would have been Ill Communication would have been the album at the time. Uh huh. And I remember one of our friends, and I'm not going to drop any names, <laughs> think uh, hearing Sabotage and saying, "Wow, they suck now. They sound like Rage Against the Machine," <laughs> and being like, "Well, one." Sabotage doesn't sound anything like Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> and two, have you listened to the rest of the album? What are you doing? But uh, you're totally right. I remember everybody else being like, oh, they're not cool anymore. Oh, and then we got there. I do recall, and it was super fratastic. Like, it was like uh, frat boys yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, and of course, I was, and I, I can go into the history of my Beastie Boys, you know, pilgrimage to their shows and clubs that played them and all that. Do it, but do it. it. Was That's like, what we're here for. That's what we're yeah, here but, for. Yeah, but I remember being like, that's the end. Like, there's un- the beaut- the pretty people have showed up, which means the game's up. Like, it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, there were frat boys. Not, not there's anything wrong with frat boys. Now that I'm an adult, I realize that my hatred for them was some sort of weird desire to stay ahead of the norm or something. But, I mean, hell, they'd been on MTV for almost 15 years at that point. Of course there was, like, mainstream, like, you know, fratastic people everywhere. Of course. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, who else would be there? Well, and, and it's it was funny. like... Because they, I mean, when they hit in '86, they were absolutely mainstream. I mean, yeah. they, they were a frat boy band. Everybody knew them. We all saw them on MTV because back then, you know, unlike now, we were all watching MTV. We all knew the same music. Like there was no, have you heard of this little band I found on the <laughs> internet? And it was like none of that. Everybody knew the top forty. But then yeah. Paul's Boutique came out. And did this weird, like, uh, like it lost the mainstream. It was almost mm-hmm. like they, they intentionally ditched out on that Miami bass sound that was, uh, that was licensed ill. What, so what was your beastie journey? Oh, well, Paul's Boutique to this day is still my favorite album. That's what created the Beastie Boys fan. Like, that's what I was, I loved that album. But I remember my first memory of Beastie Boys, of course, is when they came out with, uh, Fight for Your Right to Party on, uh, MTV. Right. And I saw the video and I have a very vivid memory of having, of course we didn't have Google. So I, I see them pouring, don't they pour like a bottle of Spanish fly, um, in a drink outside of the locker? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Some, yeah. And I didn't know what Spanish fly was. So I go to the Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> set we have in our living room, right? I'm going to go find Spanish fly. Of course I'm looking up all these flies, you know? And I'm asking my mom, is it, and I'm thinking it's like a liqueur made of Spanish flies. And I'm so confused. <laughs> then somebody finally, like one of the older kids, probably one of my babysitters, like explains to me that it's a drink that like makes you want to have sex or something. And I still didn't get it. That was still, I was only in like the sixth or seventh grade. So the concept was still way out there. I was like, well, why would you do that? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no yeah. clue. Um, so that was like my first exposure to them. And we, that would have been like Pinkneyville Middle School. Talk about being like, uh, you know, but of course that was, I mean, you think about the Beastie Boys. I mean, they were uh, so relatable to even a preteen, even a tween could like relate to it. They were talking we did, about like, we didn't their have tweens suck. back then. <laughs> tween wasn't even a word then. <laughs> It wasn't. We were tweens. I mean, I was tweens. Yeah, it's so funny. But, but you're right. Yeah, everybody, like, it's so funny for me now to listen to, uh, well, really to listen to anything I was listening to when I was a kid. Uh, because as a parent, I'm very conscious of, like, the content. 
Mm-hmm. But then I think back to stuff I was listening to in 1986, like Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. Uh, you know, I was 10, and there's stuff that I'm like, I don't want my son to hear that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I was hearing it, and I just didn't know what any of it meant. I had, you leave out the parts that don't matter. Yeah, right, right, you right. Just, you, you do, except for the Spanish fly, which I had to get to the bottom of. And I also... <laughs> And I had to figure out what a porno mag was, which later revealed to me that it's a magazine containing porno. But that was very difficult for me at the time to put that together. <laughs> they taught us so much. They did. <laughs> it was the best. And then, I, of course, high school was I, – uh, God, I have so many memories of like – I used to go to those – and I was in Jacksonville at that time. Um, what they had these clubs that were like eight, they, I think they were like under 18 night. It must've been 18 and up night, but not really. Cause I was like 16 yeah, yeah. and go and we wore those big, and this would have been right before it's been a year or two before we went to the concert. So, mm-hmm. um, but those big baggy pants and those like, it's like rave esque dancing to beastie boy music. And everyone looks like they have a skateboard, even though they don't. And it was all, it was literally a culture that beastie boys had kind of created amongst teenagers. I don't know how but definitely have. Oh, like, for sure. <laughs> they, I remember consciously like watching their videos and being like, oh, I'm going to, like when uh, when Check Your Head came out uh, and So What You Want, the video for So What You Want came out, I wanted to dress like a lumberjack because they had on the plaid shirts and the jeans and the little wool hats. And I, yeah. I was convinced that that was the coolest look in the world. And every time they put out a video – you would watch and see, like, what are they wearing? Where can I find mm-hmm. this? Can I get this stuff? And everything, it turned out, like, came from thrift stores. It was all, oh, of, like, stuff. It was, that... it, was, it was winter in Brooklyn. It was winter right, in Brooklyn. Right. Like, basically. They were like, it's cold. It's winter in Brooklyn. What the hell am I going to wear? <laughs> like. <laughs> but, yeah, they, I mean, they, they determined a lot of the fashion. Like, they were always ahead of the game. Whatever, whenever their new video or album or whatever dropped – they were wearing some something different from what was big. Like, they were always ahead of what was going on. Assuming that's because they were from New York City. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Although they, I, I mean, they were, so. I did, no, they were but, at one point, they, or they ended up moving out to the West Coast. But, I mean, they were always part of, like, art culture and hip-hop. And, like, you know, they weren't, they weren't just a bunch of white rappers. Like, they were involved... In the art mm-hmm. scene, I mean, they they were they were they were ahead of their time. So, what as far as seeing them live, had you seen them prior to '95? No, and I have a very distinct memory of everybody not wanting to go except for us, and being like, "I am not not seeing someone that shaped my childhood. Right. Like they'll be gone one day." And I, I mean, I wasn't even that mature. Obviously, if it was '95, I was 18 years old. But I remember saying, "Off the bucket list, next Willie Nelson." Like. You know, and I didn't get to see Willie Nelson until last year, so thank God I finally got that done. Oh, but wow. I had a few people that I thought, like, I will not – because I, rem- I had memories of my dad telling funny stories of seeing the Beach Boys for $4 back when concerts were, like, cheap. And, you know, memories of, um, you know, of my parents, you know, I've seen the Grateful Dead or, or whatever the whatever the story was. I, I did have the sense, even as a teenager, to go see the bands that were so sculpting. Like, I mean, I'm not going to go see every single hip-hop group or white rapper in the 90s, because that would be daunting, but, but the <laughs> you, Beastie Boys... You wouldn't Boys, be done yet. <laughs> I mean, 
it would be rough. So, but that, I do remember when you said, let's go, I was like, yes, you know what? This is, yes, it's the Omni. The Omni sucks. Yes, it's the new album. The new album's like, meh. But I cannot miss saying I saw the Beastie Boys. And I don't think I could afford a T-shirt, and I was pissed about that. But obviously, I would have bought bought a crappy shirt anyway, so who cares? And I throw out T-shirts like a crazy person, so it wouldn't have mattered. But I did say, off the bucket list, done. It's the Beastie Boys, for crying out loud. We should all be there to pay respect, if nothing else. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. And and it was, I mean, it ended up being uh, just mind-blowing because... They like I, I don't know what I was expecting, but they had the full deal where they would do a couple of the straight hip hop songs and just have the. I, I'm not sure if Hurricane was still the DJ at that point, but they'd have the DJ up there doing their thing, and then they'd pull out all the instruments and everything and play a few. You know, do one of the instrumentals, do sabotage, do uh, like the maestro, and then go back to do a couple of hip hop songs. Like it, it, I had never seen a show like that no no it wasn't common back then they pioneered that i would say yeah Yeah, they pioneered that because i i don't recall a band before and then of course i can recall dozens after i mean that that started in a way as much as they that started that whole white rap rock sort of um you know collaboration but for sure but they were, oh yeah, they were awesome. No, I'm so glad we went. But I wish I'd known that it was at the Omni. That's crazy. That means it was just, that's old school right there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it means it's probably one of the last shows there. Certainly the last show I saw there. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because I didn't me see too. a ton. It was like Metallica and this, I think, were probably it. Did the, um, and then what I want to know if you remember is what happened to the Beastie Boys. Cause I grew up, right? You finish school, you go on to work, you get caught in the day to day. I don't have much of a re- recollection of Beastie. And I have got these heavy Beastie Boy memories of all the clubs in Jacksonville as a teenager and all the memories of college and every party having Beastie Boys in the background and us going to that concert and being like, whoa. And then of course that, you know, going into us getting into the far side and roots and all those other acts and talent. I don't remember when it ended though. I have no, all of a sudden one day, oh, I wow. just didn't just listen to out? the Beastie. I oh, fell no. out. I don't know when or I don't know how. I mean, they're on my iTunes. I listen to them every time I go to the gym, but I don't remember the last time I, like we went to that concert and I almost felt like that was their last tour or something, but it probably wasn't. Oh, I probably no, just no, turned not 30. At all. They, they yeah. were still touring as of like 2009 and, and did uh, a couple of shows like big, uh, whatever festival gigantic fundraising festival whatever i can't remember what they're called right now for like tibet and stuff i did see that i do remember but i feel like oh they've become philanthropists that's so nice (laughs) (laughs) well and that's i mean well i i have not progressed beyond the age of like 23 musically (laughs) like i'm still listening to everything like you would laugh so hard to see that my my constant rotation is like Still, Beastie Boys, They Might Be Giants, Less Than Jake, um, No Effects. Um, oh, oh, well, No Effects the, just came to Portland. Yeah, I, lo- I still love No Effects. And I still, they Might Be Giants, I've seen a dozen times. But they did a lot of small, they do weird small stuff when you live in New York City. You can go see them read story right, time to kids. Right. You can yeah, see them yeah. do a show in a coffee shop. It was yeah. wild. But uh, the Beastie Boys, um, yeah, they did that. And I saw them again at Lollapalooza. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I saw them... I want to say I saw him one more time, but I can't remember exactly what it was. I, as as I go through and talk to different people, I'm going to 
of course come across different memories but you know every few years they they dropped another album uh after 911 they did one called to the five burrows that <laughs> it was i mean you know they were upset they were all very socially active especially MCA um and it it was in retrospect it's actually a very powerful album but at the time it seemed a little I don't want to say corny because it was coming so much from their hearts, but it, it kind of was, mm-hmm. uh, and and it didn't do all it didn't do super good, and I didn't love it at the time. Although I have found that most of the tracks have aged very well, interesting as mm-hmm. opposed to a lot of artists at the time. Uh, and then they put out an album called The Hot Sauce Committee Part Two before. Well, it was when MCA started having his health problems when he was diagnosed with throat cancer. Uh, that came out before we knew it was going to be fatal, uh, and it's it's fantastic. It's a wonderful album. Like I yeah. love it, and I don't I don't love anything that comes out now. Uh, yeah, I need to listen. To, I've literally not heard it, and I think that's because I got so disconnected. Like just from um, well, living in New York was complicated because you don't have radio. I mean, you do have a radio, but you don't you don't commute with a radio or right, do the right, things right. that and so you just sort of go into this weird place where you're just downloading whatever you already know um and but i definitely want to check that album out because i i love bc i can i mean they, literally they're a top 10 band of all time for me yeah. easily i mean it top five probably so i'm mean, curious how many people lost track of them versus how many people kept up you know oh, well, and i i did I mean, it happens. It, it happens with, uh, it, even with, uh, me with like, they might be giants for a few years. I just, I missed a few albums. And before I knew it, it had been six years since I had, I, like, I had been listening to them, but it had been six years since I'd bought a new album. It yeah. just, you know, we're, we're getting freaking old and we lose track <laughs> of things and don't know what's happening anymore, even with the stuff that we love. It's tough. Well, before before we wrap up our segment, because we're we're probably going to have five, six, seven people uh, just doing you know little Beastie Boys memories. Before we wrap up, any last thoughts about the Beastie Boys? No, no, just that I I just cannot believe how cool they were and how cool we thought we were. You know, I really do like that. Just warms my heart. We thought we were so cool. They actually were cool. <laughs> Yeah. Are, yeah. They, well, and they, um, you know, we we were trying. We watched what they did, and we tried to ape it. Exactly. Which so. is really that's you know it, when, when you're young, I think most of us that's all you can do. And I think I would give them credit too for being as much as their lyric. I mean, that was not when you talk about your child and having to monitor. I mean, that was some pretty wholesome image. We wanted to wear like cool jeans, and you know, I mean, they were wholesome enough and yet rebellious enough to where I think that that is the balance. That if if that's all that teenagers had as a challenge this day and age, it'd be a lot easier. Like if that's yeah. your racy music, fine. You're, you know, yeah, you're right. You're, you're totally right. At the time. It was outrageous, like all, all the lyrics and stuff. Like they said some crazy shit, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, for nowadays, yeah, you're, you're right. They're they're actually kind of tame. <laughs> <laughs> they're intellectually intellectually rebellious. And <laughs> I saw the Beastie Boys in 1987 with Run DMC. I saw them again in 1994 at Lollapalooza, and I've actually got some memories of that show. I was hoping to get my buddy Scott on, and we just couldn't work out the scheduling. 
Skype has been a huge problem lately. And uh, between that and just busy work schedules, I wasn't able to get Scott on. But I will say this about that show. Uh, One, A Tribe Called Quest was also there, and I was very disappointed that Q-Tip didn't come out to do Get It Together with the Beastie Boys. And two, it was the first show where the Smashing Pumpkins were the headliners, and what went before them was so good that I just couldn't stick around for Billy Corgan going, nah, nah. Uh, I, I couldn't do it because the Beastie Boys absolutely killed it. Uh, I saw him again at the show in 95 with Carly at the Omni, and I want to say I saw him one more time when Luscious Jackson opened for him, and I, I don't remember who was with me at that one, I don't know what the circumstances were, and it's entirely possible at some point I saw him at the International Ballroom. Those years are a blur, you guys, uh, which is as as ridiculous as it's going to sound to work this in here. Uh, you know, for me personally, uh, I don't recommend marijuana. Uh, I know I've lost a lot of good memories to it. And uh, possibly years of my life uh, that I could have been accomplishing something and I didn't. And I know, you know, maybe you can handle it. Good for you if you can. I couldn't. Uh, it messed me up. And I, I've there are a lot of memories that are jumbled or just plain gone from uh, just smoking a lot of that stuff. So for me personally, not my bag, not interested in it, don't want it anymore. Uh, weird way to close out the show, but that's what I'm going with. All right, that wraps up this episode of the Needless Things podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the Beastie Boys memories. I know I enjoyed talking to everybody about them. And, uh, you know, there could there could easily be a Beastie Boys part two, I think, because I, I've got more to say. I just thought it was more important to talk to some other people this time around and, and to share some reminiscences, I guess. Uh, but I would love to do another one of these because I think there's plenty more to say about the Beastie Boys. We didn't talk as much about the latter portion of their career. Uh, we, we didn't talk about how huge it was uh, when Hot Sauce Committee came out and was great, as, you know, every one of their albums is. So, you know, stay tuned. Keep checking NeedlessThingsSite.com. Keep Googling Needless Things Podcast. And like I said, if you're doing your holiday shopping, go to NeedlessThingsSite.com. Click on that big old Amazon box in the top right and, and buy some stuff through there. And go to smile.amazon.com and you can select a charity to receive a portion of every purchase that you make. And none of this stuff costs you any extra money. Uh, I, I'm left at the end here feeling, unfortunately, a little melancholy. Not that I haven't enjoyed these memories, but now, you know, there's no way around the fact that we lost MCA. Uh, and it's tragic, you know, anytime anyone dies that young. But MCA had such a big place in my heart and was such a big influence on me. And uh, that's part of why Hot Sauce Committee is a little different for me because, you know, when it hit, it was so incredible. 
and I loved it. And I felt like, my gosh, these people, these guys, this this band, they're just going to keep going forever, keep being incredible. And then so soon after, we found out that that wasn't the case. And it's it's heavy now. It's a heavy album now. So, uh, but I love the Beastie Boys. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, and I love you guys. I'm gonna leave you with something cool. Yeah. All your trekkies and TV addicts Don't mean the dance, don't mean the break static All your Klingons in the fucking house Grab your back, keep framing and get loud Blowing doors off inches Grab you with the bitches And no, I didn't retire Snatch it off with the needle nose pliers Like each will of Omaha With the UFO you've never seen before Gliding in the glazes Like gold teeth in the fucking place Like a place with the bass up I'm a motherfucking nigga at night Respect to be running that you know alright Now remain calm no alarm cause my farm ain't fast So what's up with that? I got friends and family that I respect When I think I'm too good they put me in check So believe when they say I'm no better than you Except when I rap so I guess it ain't true like that Y'all and you just don't stop Guaranteed to make your body raw Check, 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 check it I'm a man that's on a mission Says son, you better listen Fucking your ass is an electrician Like a scientist mm, When I'm applying this Method of controlling my mind Like I sign a rap to comply Now hey baby mama now what's the deal I didn't know to go for that mass appeal So I'm calling to me Some of my potato Hey, I stole your mic But you won't see it later Cause I work magic like a magician I add up the mathematician And I make cashier engineer Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.